Okay, so I'm starting on page one of the second session. The t at the top it says, Making strong what has become weak. Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 17. And uh, we'll see how we do. And um, we'll go from there. So in the introduction we read that the journey up and over the summit of faith is not an easy one. The climb is steep, the environment is harsh, and the physical and spiritual and mental limitations that we have are very real. That should be mental, not metal. It's inevitable that on this journey we will all reach a point along the way where we ask, can I really make it? Do I really have what it takes? Do I really want to put myself through this anymore? I don't know if I can take the harshness, hostility of the environment into which I am climbing. Maybe I'll just stop here, pitch my tent, and rest. And uh, again, you know, I've used the metaphor of mountain climbing uh, as, uh, as sort of a metaphor. That's kind of what the journey of the believer is. If you've been walking in the faith for a while, you know that, thankfully, the Lord in his mercy did not put us through the tests at the very beginning that we go through as we progress in the, in the faith. I tell my students this every, every chance that I get. The longer you walk with Christ, the more you mature in your faith, the stronger and the more difficult the tests become. That's not to minimize, you know, when a babe in Christ is faced with their first test, that, uh, you know, they're thinking about, is it really worth it? It's, it's as much a strain on them, that, you know, infantile test, as the test that we endure as more mature Christians. Those tests are, are made to draw things out of us. God brings those testings into our lives to draw things out of us that, that we need to see and that we need to confront and that we need to deal with. And, uh, and that's, that's a lifelong progress, that process. That never stops until we get to glory. That, that keeps on happening. So while, while we're undergoing those kinds of tests, you know, uh, be that whatever they may be, we also, we also have an adversary, right? We have a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places that seeks to gain the advantage through those difficult times where we are weak. And so there is that. And then so we, we're up against the flesh. We're up against the spiritual entities that in the unseen realm to, you know, to coin that term. And then, of course, we live in a fallen world that offers all sorts of anesthetics for us to divert our attention to anesthetize the pain, so on and so forth, to just give in and go along. So it really is, you know, a difficult climb. These are the things that we, um, there are two greatest fear objects on the climb. The internal securities or internal insecurities surrounding our own limitations and the external hostility and harshness of the environment. These are the things that we focus on the most. But we fail to see the reality that in spite of these very real fears, the further up we go, the clearer the air becomes and the further off into the horizon we can see. That's the payoff, right? The payoff is, is you're able to perceive and see not only uh, you know, eternity, 
you're starting almost like you're able to begin to see through the veil. Uh, so you're able to see eternity more clearer, but you're able to see eternity's God more clear and to feel his presence. So the crystal clarity of the bright blue sky, the snow-capped peaks that seem to run for hundreds of miles, the unbelievable beauty of a high-altitude view of the stardust night sky. No one said it was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, Christ said just the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. In this world, you will have tribulation. If this world hates me, they're going to hate you. But in the difficulty of the harsh environment and in the internal insecurities, we lose sight of three important truths that really are joyful. Number one, in spite of it all, we are still making progress up the mountain. We're still in progress on the journey. With each step forward, we get close to the summit of our homeland. And Christ is making the climb with us. We're not alone, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose of the 23rd Psalm, right? The, the 23rd Psalm is not a psalm of death. It's a psalm of life. It's actually a psalm that, that, uh, that portrays the journey through this world, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what this life is. I will fear no evil, right? Your rod and staff, they comfort me, right? And uh, you're with me, right? That's what the 23rd Psalm is about. The 23rd Psalm is the Psalm of this life. It's not a Psalm of, okay, he's going in the ground and let's read the Psalm and be done with it. So Hebrews 12 is basically, you know, beginning to sum up and to bring to a conclusion this epistle to keep going, to keep climbing, following our guide Christ. He kept his eyes on the view all around him and on the summit of his goal. This enabled him to keep a proper perspective of the things he was enduring during his climb. We are told to do the same things. Focus on the summit. In the harshness of the environment, there is still a great deal of beauty all around us. Remember, the servant is not greater than his master. If he endured these things, so too shall we. But what we are called to endure is infinitely less than what he was called to endure. The hostility that he endured from sinners was so great that any of us would have buckled and given up under a millionth of the fraction of the hostility that he endured against. And you just think about it. You know, you, we think about we think about the scourging and uh, you know the, the the physical torture that he endured, but think about the psychological. You know what he went through emotionally and psychologically as well. You know, all of his all of his disciples abandoned him. They all abandoned him. Right? He was left alone, yet he was not alone. But, you know, he, Jesus is human, so he felt that, I'm sure he felt that sense of betrayal. He felt that sense of, you know, loneliness. And so, you know, what we're called to suffer is just a fraction of, of what he endured. Okay, uh, over on the next page was a hostility that was ordained by the Father. So that degree of hostility could be lifted from off our souls in our eternity, right? So he, he, by the decree of the Father, he suffered so much more for us. And so in the same way, to an infinitely lesser degree, God brings this kind of pain and suffering on us for a reason and for a purpose. And yet still we buckle under the hostilities that we face in our lives. 
the hostilities that the world of flesh and the devil throw at us, and even from each other, because we all still struggle with sin, and sometimes sin gets the best of us all. We want to give up. We want to run away. And uh, usually there's, you know, something that happens in my life every day that, you know, uh, gives me this urge, though not so much, not as much now as in years gone by. In the midst of these hostilities, feelings, insecurities, and emotions, I forget to see the beauty of God's providence going on all around me, right? So, so we don't, we don't, we don't, it's not easy and natural for us to view all of life's events, everything that happens, both good and bad, on a daily basis, monthly, whatever, through the lens of divine providence, right? Do you understand what I mean by that, divine providence? That God is the one who directs all things, right? So if you think of, if you think of the worst thing that happened to you in your life, you know, there are, you know, I can think back over the course of my life, probably three or four absolutely catastrophic events. They were catastrophic um, either physically, financially, or emotionally, sometimes all three at once, right? Those, and it's easy to, you know, to, to, when you find yourself in the midst of that kind of thing, to say, well, if I had only done this, or if I had only done that, I might have avoided this. But that's not looking at it through the lens of divine providence. Through the lens of divine providence, God brings those things into our lives for a specific reason. And if you look back over the course of those events in your life, whatever they may be, you will see that when you came out the other side, you came out a better person. You came out a stronger person, right? You came out uh, more resilient and more steadfast. How does the, you know, how do the trees, you know, you look at, you look at the, uh, the trees in, in, in the southern areas where they're subject to you know, where they're subject to hurricanes and things like that. You know, they, they are able to stand, you know, 100 and 150 mile an hour winds. <coughs> I went through uh, uh, some a time, probably two or three months ago, where I was going on YouTube and, and just going through all of the videos that were up on YouTube of the tsunami that struck Japan, you know, in 2011. And everything was wiped out, but the trees were still standing. You know, why are the trees standing? Because they're, they're constantly subject to stress, right? From the moment that they, spray, that they spring out of the ground, they're subject to stress. And that stress makes them stronger, right? It doesn't weaken them, it makes them stronger. Now, you know, some years ago we had, we had tornado blow right through the center of Springfield across, right over 91 there, right, right around where the courthouse area is. And there's a, an area there of trees, you know, and, and for a long time you could see the trees had been stripped bare of all of their foliage. But if you go there now, it's all back, right? And so that's kind of the way it works with us. Okay. All right. Uh, So my head moves from being tilted up to see the approaching summit and the beauty of the clarity of the sky above me or the bright stardust of the night sky above. Boy, I was really waxing poetic there. 
and my focus becomes the difficulty of the steps that are in front of me, right? And this is, you know, the phrase, having it living with eyes for eternity, right? Whether you fix your gaze upward or you fix your gaze downward makes all the difference. If you fix your gaze downwards, terrestrial base, you're going to tend to have a negative outlook on the things that are happening in your life. But if you fix your eye, if you lift up your head, look, fix your eyes upward with eyes for eternity, then you're going to have a, a more positive, more positive outlook and a more positive response to what's going on. Okay. <coughs> But God reminds me that this is part of his training program. With this training program comes correction and discipline for things in my life and attitude that need correction and reformation. And with each step forward, I am coming closer to being conformed to the image of his son. That everything that has happening is happening or will happen in the future, both good and bad, is being brought about by our God. To conform us to the image of his son, to fit us, for citizenship in heaven, to give us a future and a hope. That in the midst of all this turmoil, we see that these things happening to us are proof positive that the Father is dealing with us as sons and daughters, right? Okay. But knowing this and doing this are two different things. But knowing must proceed doing, so what are we to do to proceed to doing? We have to take this knowing and make strong what has become weak. We have to take the personal responsibility to take a good hard look at ourselves, see where our weaknesses lie, and bind up and correct those weaknesses. That's the, that's the nugget in the tough times. You see, if you're in the tough times and you, your eyes are, your gaze is fixed downward, it's entirely terrestrial base, you begin looking, you know, looking at whatever it is that's going on in your life as some sort of random collision of negative consequences and your view tends to be negative it's going to be negative and what will happen in that is you will lose in that in with that focus you will lose the benefit of the testing that God has brought into your life and you will fail the test <laughs> but guess what happens you get to take it again and usually it's even harder. The, the, the re I don't know about you, but when I had to, you know, take retakes, the retakes were usually harder than the original one, right? Not easier. So, so that's what happens. However, if, you're, if your gaze is upward, if, you are, if your outlook is positive, if it's fixed and calibrated by a, a providential worldview, then you will go into it and look at it with the perspective, there is something here that God wants me to see. And the sooner I see it, the sooner the test ends. Right? So you begin looking for it, and you, you will always, you'll always be able to identify something that you have learned through that test. Right? And so what, what, what is that? Well, that's just, you know, you pass the test, you pass the test and uh, you become stronger, you become more conformed to the image of Christ, and you keep moving forward. That is positive, right? And so you look for the positive. Do you need notes? Okay, well, there's a copy here. If I could just get them back at the end of the night. Uh, 
We're on page two in the second section of the three section. Okay. So picking it up now, after this lengthy introduction at Hebrews 12:12, 12, 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The feeble knees. So so what do you do with your hands? You work with them. What, do, what can you do with a hand that's hanging down? Nothing. So you strengthen the hands which hang down, which refers to work and service. Hands are used to perform essential tasks and work, but through the lack of use, the muscles of the hands and the arms become weak and atrophy. This has to do with our service. Over on the next page. So we need to get back to doing the work that God has called each and every one of us to do, right? God has called each and every one of us to do something, to render service to him, to his kingdom. And in, by virtue of his kingdom, that means we are called to do something in service to one another, right? That's what we're called to do. And so, so what had happened here is when you look at what was happening here among the Messianic Jews of this time, they were falling, they were really were falling to fear and intimidation, right? And so when you're falling to fear and intimidation, your eyesight is, again, fixed downward rather than fixed upward, and you tend to slack off. You tend to become, and I think if anyone here has ever experienced periods of, of, uh, of fear and anxiety or times when you've gone through extreme worry, what effect does that have on your day? Well, it controls it and it tends to be the defining factor of the day so that you can't do or you won't do because you don't want to do the things that you would normally do. So this is what had happened here to these Jewish believers is they, through the intimidation that they were facing, being ostracized, so on and so forth. This was, it was the predominant thing in their thinking and it was being a real hindrance to their service to Christ to the degree that their spiritual muscles were beginning to atrophy, right? And so here the author says, to strengthen the feeble knees, the hands, knees are articula articulating joints in our legs that both support the weight of our bodies but do so in such a way so as to maximize dexterity and effort in movement. But when our knees are not used on a regular basis, they grow weak, and as a result, our physical strength and dexterity is limited. This has to do with moving in the direction that God ca has called us, called each of us to walk. Watch out for the byroads that lie along the way that seem to go up the mountain an easier way, but they do not. This is not an easy journey. This is not a journey for the squeamish, right? For now, the reality is, is you know that we we're using. Yeah, I've been using here the the metaphor of a journey, which is in fact what's even talked about here in the book of Hebrews, the pilgrimage is a journey. That the reality is, is not everyone goes the same distance in this life, right? Up the mountain. Right? That's, that's the reality. That's the true reality, right? So, but everyone, go, everyone gets into eternity, but no one makes it up the mountain. So remember what I said, the metaphor of climbing the mountain is the higher up you get, 
the clearer your vision becomes, right? The clearer your vision becomes of being able to, you know, as you go up the mountain, the air gets thinner, right? And so the, the, it's clear you have a clearer eyesight. So I use that as a metaphor for eternity. You're able to see eternity clearer and you're able to perceive the presence of God clearer. That's the payoff of going up as far as you can this mountain in this light because the further up you go, the clearer the air becomes, the better you can see. It has no bearing on eternity, right? So, so, the, so the believer who makes it a third of the way up the mountain, he doesn't lose anything in eternity. But he doesn't get to see the things that the one who has journeyed three quarters of the way up the mountain gets to see in this life. That's the way this works. And that's what the author of Hebrews is, is enjoining them to do. Because the further up the mountain you go, the higher the strain becomes on your body, the stronger you become. And the stronger you become, the more you are able to endure. Right? And so that's what, you know, he was ultimately prepping them for what was yet to come. Right? Because we know of the persecutions that, you know, that, that, Christian, that awaited Christianity. Awaiting those early believers. Okay. Okay. Uh, so verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 12 says, But make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. The end result of taking one of these roads will bring further unhealthiness and ability to progress forward your stop. So what's, what's the author is talking about here? He's saying you've got to strengthen your hands, you've got to strengthen your knees, right? You've got to be able, you got, and obviously he's using physical things here as metaphors for the spiritual, right? So you have to strengthen your ability to both move and do and to operate, right? To operate in the spiritual realm. You have to do that. And, and one of the things you need to avoid is you need to avoid the by roads, those things that that will take you off course. So what are some of the byroads here that you think the author may be referring to? Some of the side paths or the diversions or the digressions or all of those things. Well, just simply speaking, it would be anything that would distract us or delay or hinder our progress on this journey up the mountain to Mount Zion, okay? And that comes in many different forms. It can come in the form of employment. It can come in the form of relationship. I mean, all of those things are necessary, but they can, they can be taken to an unhealthy degree to where it hinders your progress and where it hinders your journey, right? Okay. So it says, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. The end result of taking one of these roads will bring further unhealthiness and our ability to progress forward will stop. Verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. So we're to strengthen the hands, we're to strengthen the feeble knees, we're to watch out for the by roads, and we're to pursue peace with, notice there, all people. Right? Not just the ones who have the same theological view as we have, not just the ones who um, espouse a Christian worldview. We are to pursue peace with all people. 
and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. To pursue peace with all people means to run swiftly to catch a person. Peace is tranquility and harmony of the soul. There can be an outward expression of peace, which does not really bring peace, because it's not a pursuit of peace and tranquility that penetrates to the soul. And thus, it's only a false peace that will erupt into non-peace or open hostilities once again. For example, the Jewish and Palestinian conflict, right? Those peace treaties, the, or the, you know, the prior peace agreements between Russia and Ukraine, right? It's a false peace. It's not really a peace. It's just a, ces a temporary cessation of hostilities. But that's not what we're told to do. We're not to just pursue a temporary cessation of hostilities with those with whom we are in disagreement with. But we are to, pers to, to pursue peace and harmony uh, with all people to the, to the, to the, to the highest degree that we're able to, right? Okay. All right. <coughs> so, now this is, uh, you know, we see this in the church, right? This is an issue in the church, right? You have disagreements within the church and, you know, and, uh, <coughs> you know, I, I'm not talking to them and they're not talking to me. And, and what, what is that? Well, that is, again, it's not real peace. It's a cessation of hostilities, right? But sooner or later, that's going to erupt again. And when it erupts again, what's going to happen? Well, the vortex will be even bigger. The vortex grows. So which brings me to the question, why do we have such fear of talking to each other? If I have a disagreement with you, Dennis, why, you know, why, would, uh, why, should, why would I be fearful? Or if you have a disagreement with me, Dennis, why would you be fearful of coming to me and talking with me about it? Okay, all right, all right. Uh, but the reality is, is most people w w would. I mean, because uh, I've seen this as a pastor for over 20 years. Why don't you just talk to each other? Just talk to each other. There it is. Some people are afraid of confrontation. They're afraid of, and and why is it that people are afraid of confrontation? Could it be that they're actually afraid of being brought face to face with the reality that they might be wrong about something? Yeah. Whether they're, they're wrong or, or the, the brutalness of the confrontation, you know, or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I want to avoid it. I want to bury my head in the sand. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't solve anything. That is a false peace. So that is a, a violation of, these are commands here, by the way, right? Uh, pursue peace with all people in holiness. Okay. It's because deep down inside, we each fear rejection. And truth be known, there are times that we will experience rejection. But that's okay, because what really matters is that we are already accepted and beloved by the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Mm -hmm. And this is the cause of brother rejecting brother and sister rejecting sister. There is in each one of us variableness and shadow of turning. Yep. 
that'll be sort of the starting point. Right? I know stuff I'm thankful that uh, you know passed on to me. Oh yeah, you know you know you know there are people who they leave the church, right? They they just they don't go to church anymore. They don't associate with you know other believers, and it doesn't mean that. I honestly believe that most of them are genuine believers. I really do. You know, I mean, I, I know a f I've known a few of them, and I believe that they are believers. You know, but I think it's that mind game that they play within themselves that Satan reinforces through his minions. You know, when you're, you know, and we've all experienced that when we've, we're taking a trip into sin, the last thing we want to do is the thing we need to do the most, and that's read God's word, to look in the mirror. But we don't want to do that. And the more you, it becomes a, a downward spiral, you know, the further away you get. Again, remember the, the analogy that I used last week, the static on the radio station, right? And so this is this is the this is the mechanism of how it works. Yes. The father of all lights, right? He's the source. He's the ground zero, right? He's he's the sun, and all of the other light emanations that come from the sun, right? Like uh, you have all of the light spectrum, most of which we can't see. Right, Jonathan could tell you more about that. Right, solar radiation and ultraviolet light and gamma rays and all of that. Those are the, the so when you look at the spiritual realm, the, there are those kind of lights, right? So you, we think of the light of salvation. We think of the light of sentience, right? That men are sentient beings. That's a form of light that's talked about in John chapter 1. That's right. So, so he's the ground zero. He's the point of origin of it all. And that light, there is no variableness. It's consistent. It's constant. And there's no shadow. There's never a time when it goes into eclipse. It's always shining. But the contrast is in our spirituality as we reflect. We're called to reflect that light. right? We're reflectors. We're not, we're not emanators. We're reflectors. But in us, there is that variableness. And sometimes there is an eclipse. Right? And so that's what we are to go to. Um, and this is the cause of brother rejecting brother and sister rejecting sister because there is in each of us variableness and shadow of turning. But in, in the time of pain and hurt, that just as you now may have been receiving variableness and shadow of turning, right? Think about this when, when you've been offended by a brother or sister. Now I'm speaking, you know, to the, to the household of faith here because we all suffer this. And remember that there are times that you've been offended by what someone has said or done to you and you've gone to them and, and they're just not seeing it or they're not responding in the way that you had hoped and you come away you know, feeling angry, feeling uh, slighted, feeling betrayed. Uh, just remember that they are given to variableness and shadow of turning. And now you're on the receiving end, but rest assured you have been or you will be on the giving end at some point. Right? And so we all need forgiveness and that we all need understanding. If we don't start talking to each other with these things in mind, the seed will spring up within our hearts 
and we'll get to that in a moment. So we're to pursue holiness, to run after. Holiness is consecration, which is dedication. The kind of dedication that he has spoken can only be given in one direction at a time. You can't be dedicated to make the journey up the mountain while keeping your eyes focused on the world below. It's like trying to climb a mountain backwards. You can't do it, right? What did Jesus say? You can't serve God and mammon. And mammon there is, you know, was a, a pagan deity representing material blessing and material wealth. You can't do both. You got to make a decision. You got to make a choice, right? We're to pursue purification. As climbers move up the mountain, they shed those things they no longer need. If they continue to try and carry them up the mountain, they will fail without which no one will see the Lord. If you're not singularly dedicated to making the summit, unless you're willing to shed the weight that you no longer should carry, you'll never make the summit where God is waiting. And I think of Pilgrim's progress here, right? Christian and the weight that he carried on his back, right? He had to get rid of that weight on his back to make it to the celestial city, right? And obviously that weight is metaphorically speaking to the things that hold us back, the distractions, the sin, the carnality, right? Those things. And we talked about this last, last week, how fasting is a tool that's given to us to aid into bringing the body into subjection to the spirit. Okay. There must always be careful and intensive self-inspection program in progress. In aviation, it's called preventative maintenance. I, I won't go into that, but you can just read it if you want. But drop down to subpoint D, Hebrews 12, 15 to 16 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau for one morsel of food sold as birthright. A falling back from the grace of God, you're not walking after God anymore, but walking away from him. Your fellowship with God is growing distant. The great danger in this is that, here it is, is this occurs outside the range of your perception. When you're in this, you don't realize it's happening. Yeah. You don't realize it's happening. It's happening outside of your perception. That is until such a time as God wakes you up to the fact through a catastrophic event. I call it being run into a brick wall at 50 miles an hour. That's my personal experience. That's why I use that term. It feels like being run into a brick wall at 50 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, well, I didn't realize I had gone that far. That's the danger of this. A root of bitterness springs up and causes you trouble. The seed sprouts a root, which becomes a tree, which bears fruit that will impact everyone in your life and all of your relationships. This is what will always happen when you harbor either a real or perceived hurt or offense on you by another. Go talk to them with the express intention of pursuing peace and harmony in the relationship. Remember, do so with the realization that just as you now may be on the receiving end, there have been times when you have been on the giving end. So there is a movement in this from fidelity to fornication to infidelity. The progression left unchecked will result in the very real infidelity to God and a return to fornicating with the things of the world. It's got nothing to do with salvation, right? Salvation is a, is a free gift, but this is where 
When you're in this place here, you're beginning to dole away rewards. We can't move away from each other without at the same time moving away from God. We can't do it. There's a movement from sanctity, dedication, and purification to profanity. Profanity is the crossing of a threshold. You cross a line that cannot be crossed back over. That's what happened with Esau, right? He crossed a line that he could not cross back over. So, you know, there's, there's debate on whether Esau stands as a, as a, uh, as a type of bel carnal believer or as a type of unbeliever. You know, that's the, the back and forth talk. When you look at Jacob and Esau, right, um, would, would, Jacob, would Esau be the, just a carnal believer or would he be the unbeliever, right? So um, I, I would tend to view him as the carnal unbeliever because he was a member of the covenant nation, right? Of, of he was a member of that chosen seed, right? So he's part of that special group. But I mean, obviously, I think he was an unbeliever. But I think within the, within the context of that story, what does he stand as a representative of? Okay. But he crossed the line, nevertheless, that he could not cross back over. Can you give another example of maybe not being a Joseph? Of? Uh, well, let's talk about some of the, you know, some of the more prominent televangelists, right? Uh, I think the one that I would point to the clearest would be Jimmy Swaggart. Remember Jimmy Swaggart? Everybody remembers Jimmy. No, not Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, yeah. right? So remember the whole scandal with Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker? This is actually a real good example, right? So, you know, I mean, they were living in absolute opulence. I mean, even the doghouse was air conditioned and all that. And come to find out there was all kinds of tax evasion and immorality going on. And he went to prison. He went to prison and, and it really appears that he really genuinely repented in prison. Because he came out and he was a different man than he went in. Right. But now look at his ex-wife Tammy Faye Baker right she divorced him as soon as she could she remarried right away and and there was no evidence of 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 any purification in her life as a matter of fact one of the last she she was shortly thereafter afflicted with colon cancer you know and she was doing all that she can to stay in the spotlight I mean, she was in end-stage colon cancer, and and uh, and I watched the last interview she did. It was like 20, 20 or 60 minutes in one of those programs, and honestly, the woman looked like a ghoul. You can probably, if you go on YouTube, still see the video. She literally was scary, right? Now, both of them had crossed the line that they could not cross back over, right? And I think in, in Jim Baker's case, he... He seemed to genuinely be a believer, whereas Tammy Faye Baker didn't seem that way. But they both crossed the line that they couldn't cross. You can do things that you can cross back over. And remember, 
when we crossed Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6, you know, when, when, the, uh, when these believers were being enjoined to, that they should be teachers by now, right? But they had stalled in their faith, and to stall was to go backwards, and they needed to keep going because, because it might just be that they could cross a line, that line being that God would lock them for the rest of their time here on earth in spiritual immaturity. Nothing to do with believing, nothing to do with salvation, but it would impact their eternal rewards. Yeah. 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 And you know, then there's the whole instance with you know uh, David's son. I think his name was Ammon, and the whole incident with Tamar and Absalom, and it just those were lines that were crossed that could not be crossed back over had nothing to do with with David's salvation but you know he was he was indecisive in that event right and it drove Absalom you know to kill and his father should have taken care of that issue but he never did and so Absalom took the matters in his own hand killed Amnon I think was his name was and that just set the whole world on fire right and it ultimately ended with Absalom's death and a whole bunch of other deaths, right? And it's well and it's gonna impact you in eternity in that it's it's gonna affect your rewards. Right? Okay. So because bitterness has taken over and the pain has become intolerable. A movement away from gracious mercy to judicial blindness. Hebrews 12, 17 says, For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He couldn't find his way back. This is basically the equivalent of being locked into spiritual immaturity. Not loss of salvation, but loss of fellowship with God on this side of eternity. You no longer see the need to stop the direction you're going in, nor do you desire any longer the fellowship, blessing, and comfort of walking with God. This is the, the epitome of the carnal Christian, right? So just in conclusion, you know, uh, the metaphor of a contest in a stadium, and you remember last week I mentioned you know, Circus Maximus, right, where they would hold chariot races and marathons and the stadium could see 250,000 people and, you know, they would be up in the stands cheering and, you know, the, the athletes were competing on the, you know, the oval-shaped course and, and that's kind of presented to us here is we have, a, you know, all of the all of the faithful men and women that have gone off into eternity and all the company of holy angels up in the stadium. They're up in the stands and we're racing around. We're the ones involved in the race and they're cheering us on and they're encouraging us, you know, and, and doing all of those things. But there are also those there that are trying to get us to give up and stop running the race. It all depends on which voice we focus on. If we focus on the negative, we will eventually give up. 
How do we keep going, making strong those things that have become weak? How do we do this? You make your hands strong in doing what God has called you to do. You stay off the side trails and keep moving in the direction that leads to the summit of heaven. When you perceive a bad seed springing to life in your heart, no matter what the cause, deal with it and get rid of it. Refocus your gaze upward to the top of the mountain where Christ and his kingdom awaits us. And one day the race will be over and the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ will come to all of us. And with that, I'm going to end. Any questions? One more week and we'll be done with chapter 12. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, it's a team. That's right. Very good. It's a team effort. I don't know if you watch any of those videos on YouTube of summiting, uh, you know, Mount Everest, or even more difficult, K2. I mean, it's just incredible strength and resilience to do that. One false step, and you're done. Yes, Dennis. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah. So, yeah, so I've changed my position on the whole marriage and remarriage and divorce thing, right? And so I absolutely believe that it's one marriage, one life. That's it. And and if divorce takes place, then no remarriage is allowed because of one spouse is still alive, right? So that's kind of where I'm at. Maybe someday I'll get into it and, and share with why I've come back to that position after being away from it for, for many years. Um, but the reality is, is she never demonstrated publicly the humility and the repentance that Jim Baker did. She still sought to live an opulent life her husband went to jail, and she, she divorced him right away and continued to live her life as if she was an unknowing partner in all of those. She didn't know anything about it. Baloney. Baloney, you know? And so that's why it's not based on the remarriage issue. It's based on there was no... Now, I could be wrong, but I'm just, you know, we're just using this as a comparison here, right? 